The famous apologetics verse in 1 Peter 3.15 talks about being really an ambassador for hope, giving a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. You know, we are living in a world that is often hopeless, but we're filled with hope. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 1, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. We'll explore that more today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. You know, people right now who have moved away from their hope in the gospel, where do you go to when you leave the hope of Christ? Where else would you find answers? Peter said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. What are we going to do now? Go back fishing? What are we going to do now? Go back to our previous life? We've met the Messiah. We've seen miracles of miracles. How can I go back now? But the reality is, as believers, because this world is a hard place to live out your faith, that's one of your great temptations in life, isn't it? It's one of mine to quit, to give up. To, you know, there's a lot of people who, they, they just want their ticket into heaven and they're not terribly concerned about how rooted and grounded they get. One writer says, Paul is not expressing doubt as to whether they will continue on. That is not what the Greek construction means here in verse 23. Scholar Peter T. O'Brien paraphrases the idea, at any rate, if you stand firm in the faith, and I am sure you will. In a very prickly passage in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 6, that has caused many Christians to lose sleep at night. As Paul goes through that section, he says these words, but beloved, Hebrews 6, 9, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. Let me just say this. The warning, though, is real. Verse 23 is there for a reason because there are people who do get sold a bill of goods. There are people, you don't hear about this a lot, folks, but let me say this to you. There are people who enter into cultic movements. Do you know that the biggest feeder for the cults is the Christian church? People who have grown up in Sunday school and the Christian faith have migrated to Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, you name it. And often it is because they are not grounded in the essential truth of the gospel. The back door of the church is sometimes bigger than we'd like to think. And part of the problem is, and I'm just being real, is that Christians often don't want to go too deep with their Bibles. They don't want to go too deep into the theology thing. They'll leave that to the experts. But look, every one of us needs to be rooted and grounded. You'll be grounded even when you're pounded. (laughs) Look, being grounded doesn't mean you're not going to be pounded. Ask the Apostle Paul when you get to heaven. But he says, but none of these things move me. Acts 20, I'm going to finish the race. We had a men's breakfast yesterday, and Chris Groma shared with us, and he shared about a runner. She was running the 600 meters. It's pretty much a sprint. It's three laps around the track, but you're running you know, at a sprint pace the whole time. And she was running. She was like second 
or maybe even first, and she got tripped by another runner and fell flat on her face. Now, these, these ladies were going at a very strong clip. I looked at the video. She fell on her face, got back up with about a lap to go, and ended up passing everybody and won the race. Don't quit. Don't quit. Get up. If you've fallen, get up again. None of these things move me. Pastor shared, uh, this was a Bible verse from the New King James uh, version of Acts 20, 23. Don McClure. He said he would write notes to people, Acts 20, 23, none of these things move me in the New King James. Or it might be verse 24. And uh, he said it was his verse, and he would end, you know, correspondence with it. And he said he was going through a tough time in life, and a lot of stuff was going on. And he said he was walking around this building one night just asking questions about God. And he said, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? And God spoke to his heart and said, is this going to move you? And he said, that's unfair, Lord. You had 66 books in the Bible, all kinds of verses, thousands of Bible verses, and you had to use my verse on me. That's my verse. Sometimes it happens, you know, we like to write our little Bible verses. Here, here you go, brother or sister. But do you believe your own Bible verse? Do you have a life verse that you really believe, or do you just write it down? It's like the guy who went to the cleaners and he'd been eyeing this store for a while and it said, it said 24-hour cleaners. So he showed up there at 6 in the morning and the door was locked. So he called the store later and he goes, what's going on? And he said, I thought you guys were the 24-hour cleaners. And the business owner responded, no, that's just the name of the business. We're not open 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. In the Greek construction of this language, it can mean don't be shaken from your faith. There's going to be things that shake you in this life, no doubt. I mean, look at Nick's story. What if you were Nick's mom and dad and you were pastoring a church? Can you imagine what he went through as he went to school? He spent a good portion of his life in public school. Can you imagine what he went through? It's no wonder at age eight he wanted to commit suicide. Now, he's changing lives all over the world. You know, sometimes our greatest struggle in life can become our greatest platform for ministry. Sometimes we think, oh, there's no way God could redeem this situation. There's no hope in this. And God uses that very thing to give hope to others. You know, when we're real with people, it gives people hope. When we're honest about even our own weaknesses, it gives people hope. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now I rejoice, says Paul, verse 24, Colossians 1, in my sufferings, what? What Did, did that read right? I rejoice, what? I, I don't like that verse. Let's go to the, verse 25. 
Wait a minute, it, it does say that. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now you, all God's people say, what? <laughs> what does this verse mean? Well, Paul wrote Colossians from where? From prison. And though he had never met the Colossian believers, Paul was the Gentile or the, the apostle to the Gentiles. He wasn't a Gentile, but he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And he suffered all over the Roman world. He spent time on the open sea floating around on pieces of wood. He got beat up with rods and lashed with a whip. Spent time in prison, insults, threats. In one place, he was stoned and left for dead. They threw rocks at him, hoped he was dead, and just left him lying there. The great apostle Paul. And he said, well, why did you do that, Paul? He says, because I was suffering for your sake. I went around the Roman world so you could get the hope of the gospel. There's no television back in the day, no cell phones. The only way you got a message to someone is either through written correspondence or an oral spoken message. That was it. So Paul said, I was willing to suffer because now I know what's happening in your life. I was willing to get the gospel to you. Dr. Helen Rosevere, a British medical doctor, had served more than 20 years in Zaire, Africa. For 12 and a half years, she had a frenetic but generally wonderful time serving as the only doctor to an area containing more than a half million people. Today, about one and a half million. But in 1964, in the revolution, it overwhelmed the country. She and her co-workers were thrown into five and a half months of almost unbelievable brutality and torture. On one occasion, when Dr. Rosevere was on the verge of being executed, a 17-year-old student came to her defense and was savagely beaten as a result. He was kicked about like a football and left for dead. Dr. Rosevere was very sick. For a moment, she thought that God had forsaken her, even though she did not doubt his reality. But God stepped in, overwhelmed her with the sense of his own presence, and said something like this to her heart. 20 years ago, you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary, the privilege of being identified with me. These are not your sufferings. These are my sufferings. As the force of that hit home, the doctor said she was overcome with a great sense of privilege, Ellen Rosevere's sense of identification with Christ, of union with him, was elevated by her suffering, and she rejoiced. Paul likewise rejoiced in the sublime oneness he sensed as Christ participated with him in his sufferings. You know, this is not a subject that we all want to hear about, but the reality is, is that people suffer for the gospel. It's been happening for 2,000 years. It's happening in the Middle East right now. I heard a story where uh, a man who was a, he was part of ISIS, went around a corner and he saw three Christians being crucified on crosses. And I'm talking about a story within the last year, by the way. Three Christians being crucified on crosses. And one of the Christians smiled at this man right before he died from crucifixion. And that smile won this man to Christ. And he's now be testifying his faith in Christ all over the world. This is what God does. You say, well, is there something in Christ's sufferings that are lacking? I thought... 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what are you wrestling with in your life? In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness. It's no secret the Christian life is difficult, but you can take comfort in knowing you are not alone. In Pastor Michael Lance's book, Suit Up, he shows you a revealing look at God's armor and how the Lord will equip you to face the world. You'll learn about the nature of the battle, who the real enemy is, and God's provision to be victorious. Learn about how each piece equips you for spiritual battle when you get your copy of Suit Up today on walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. The reality is, is that people suffer for the gospel. It's been happening for 2,000 years. It's happening in the Middle East right now. I heard a story where uh, a man who was a, he was part of ISIS, went around a corner and he saw three Christians being crucified on crosses. And I'm talking about a story within the last year, by the way. Three Christians being crucified on crosses. And one of the Christians smiled at this man right before he died from crucifixion. And that smile won this man to Christ. And he's now testifying his faith in Christ all over the world. This is what God does. You say, well, is there something in Christ's sufferings that are lacking? I thought Christ's work was complete at the cross. There's some people who say that maybe in this verse there's the idea of the Roman Catholic teaching of purgatory, that people have to suffer and then they finally enter into glory. They have to pay for their own sins, but that's totally against Paul's argument in the whole flow of this text. He just said we're free from accusation. He just said we're reconciled by the blood of the cross, so then what does this mean? Here's what Paul is saying, I believe. I believe that what Paul is saying is that every time he got persecuted, Since Christ was now in heaven, people were doing to Paul what they would have liked to have done to Jesus. Every time they took their uh, hatred and venom out on a messenger of the gospel, they were doing to that person what they would like to do to Christ if they could simply get a hold of him. But since Christ lives in us the hope of glory, that persecutor was feeling like now they were doing something directly to Christ. Saul, Saul, Why do you persecute me? Acts chapter 9. You see, Jesus Christ is involved in every area of our life because he lives in us. And of this church, 25, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. The idea is to lay out the word of God fully. You can't quit on your stewardship. You can't. You've been given a stewardship. What's a steward? In the ancient world, a steward was a manager of somebody else's possessions, servants, household, everything. Joseph in Potiphar's house was his steward. And it is required of a steward that he be found, what? Faithful. That's all God wants from you, is faithfulness. He he knows you're not going to be perfect. He just wants you to know that when you fall and you skin your knee, just get up again. Don't quit on your stewardship. Don't quit on things that God has given you responsibility for. Don't quit on your spouse. Don't quit on your ministry. It's always too soon to quit. Paul says, I'm a minister. 
This comes from W.E. Sangster of Westminster Central Hall. He says, called to, to preach, commissioned by God to teach the word, a herald of the great king, a witness to the eternal gospel. Could any work be more high and holy? To this supreme task, God sent his only begotten son. In all the frustration and confusion of the times, is it possible to imagine a work comparable in importance with that of proclaiming the will of God to wayward men? Question mark. Oh, but don't get me wrong, it's not an easy work. The ministry has its perils. I heard a pastor say recently that if he listened to everything his critics said, he said when the church was small, nobody paid attention to him. He said when, when the church was growing rapidly, everybody criticized him, and now that the church is extremely large, everybody resents him. <laughs> he says if I listen to my critics, and this is a man who could get on the internet and spend two weeks just looking at articles that are criticizing him. He said, I would be devastated, but I've learned something in ministry, to have tough skin, but a tender heart. You might want to write that down. Tough skin, but a tender heart. Look, it's not easy to be involved in any kind of ministry because it involves people. <laughs> oh. I know, some days I have very positive outlooks on folks. Other days, not so much. Some days I have a very positive outlook on myself. Other days, not so much. I disappoint myself regularly. <laughs> I do not meet my expectations most of the time. However, Christ lives in me. Amen. And I do not measure my life by all the outward stuff that the world measures stuff by. But I have a mystery I want to tell you about, and this is the final two verses as we lead into communion. And Paul says, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. That's you, brothers and sisters. This mystery was once hidden, now it's revealed. The Greek word for mystery here is musterion. If you just uh, spelled out mystery and added an I-O-N at the end, you'd have the word. For years, scholars believe that Paul was using a play on words from the mystery religions of the pagan world. But more recent scholarship believes that the word mystery is probably more linked to Daniel 2 and the idea that God is the revealer of mysteries and that God, in one sense, cloaked this mystery. The Messiah was predicted in the Old Testament in shadows and types, but the reality that he would live within the church was fully revealed through the preaching of the New Testament gospel. And now, you and I have an advantage. We know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if we're in Christ, he is in us. If we are in Christ, he is in us. He lives and makes his abode in his people. It's a mystery how this all works together. Many scholars says he does this through the power of the Holy Spirit, but he has made his abode in his church. That's how much he cares about you. He doesn't just check in once a week. How you doing? He doesn't send you a veiled text once a month. 
He lives in you, which should suggest that he cares about you. Amen? Some of us can't even put up with people for an hour. (laughs) He lives in you. Just think about it. It's awesome. God is the revealer of mysteries, and this is one of the mysteries he wanted you to know. He wants you to know. Among these mysteries are the mystery of the incarnate God, Colossians 2.2, Israel's unbelief, Romans 11.25, the mystery of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2.7, the unity of Jew and Gentile in Ephesians 3.3-6, and even the mystery of the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15.51, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, we shall be changed. Final verse. To whom God will to make known, that is to the church, What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. John 14, 23. Romans 8, 10 says, if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? And listen to these words, Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In John 6, as we get ready to take communion, Jesus gave a very difficult teaching, very controversial in the uh, understanding of this teaching, especially as it relates to the Roman Catholic Church. And Jesus said these words, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have No life in you. He was saying, in essence, you must take me in. But the words that he spoke, if you look at John 6 carefully, John 6, 63 says, the words that I'm speaking to you are spirit and they are life. If I can put it this way, do not take me literally. I am speaking of spiritual things by using physical examples, which is all over the Bible. I'm not saying you must literally eat my flesh and drink my blood. I'm using metaphors like I am the door, like I am the good shepherd. I'm not literally uh, hinges and a piece of wood. I'm the way to God. And by using this illustration in John 6, what he was saying is when you take me into yourself, you will become alive and God will breathe life into you. When you take communion... You take elements that represent the life of God coming into you. It's already a reality, just like your baptism signifies what's already happened in your heart. Everybody with me? Baptism is an outward demonstration of an inward reality. The water doesn't save you. Christ saves you. The water demonstrates dying to the old self and coming out in resurrection life. It's a picture And in the same way, even though there's a debate about, you know, what really happens at the communion table, ultimately, the idea of taking the bread and the juice is an idea of being reminded that Christ is in you. And that's why you have life. 
So as you come to your, as you come to the table of the Lord as a Christian, you remember Christ lives in me. I have his life in me. This is what the table's about. But the table is for Christians. And if you're not a Christian, I would just encourage you to become one right now and come to his table. You might say, well, Pastor Michael, what do I have to do to become a Christian? You have to ask Jesus into your life. This is a spiritual reality we're talking about here. You must ask the living God to come and make his abode in you. And if you do, he will. All he wants you to do is turn from your sin. Don't think that you can do it on your own, but trust in his finished work as a gift. Say, Lord, I open my heart. I'm ready to receive. And at that moment, if you'll repent of your sin and receive Christ, he will come in and make his home with you. Well, friends, as these radio broadcasts go out, it's one of our prayers that if there are people listening who are not believers in Jesus, they would be saved. And if you prayed that prayer, if you've reached out to Jesus Christ, we'd like you to reach out to us so that we can provide you the necessary resources to help you on this journey of discipleship and walking with the Lord. If you have thoughts on today's message, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us by mail or email. Please get the contact information at walkintruth.com. Tune in tomorrow to listen to the last part of our teaching in Colossians chapter 1, and we'll get into chapter 2 as well. Tomorrow's message is about how we are complete in Christ. We'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.